What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel. I'm Hillary. And I'm Clinton. And we have two special guests today. We have Rufina Ajayle and Christine Aroku. They are the founders of United Colors of Fashion in New Brunswick. Uh, I'm pretty uh, pumped that you girls are here. So thank you for being here. Yes, thank Thanks. you. So thank thanks you. for having us. We'll start with a, a question for, uh, you know, a little bit of background. Let's start with you, Rufina. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm Rufina. I'm originally from Nigeria. I'm still from Nigeria. proud of my <laughs> country. <laughs> and um, I came into New Brunswick for my MBA um, in professional sales and business development. But before then, I've been an HR um, professional and I'm still in the HR industry. Currently, I work with the YMCA as the HR supervisor. Nice. Yeah, and I have passion for fashion. I love, <laughs> I love cooking. And then I like, I'm creative. I like doing things with my hands. I'm someone that you can say that even with grass, I can put food on the table. So that's how good I am. So we need to eat at your place, definitely, because I can <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Christine? So for me, um, I'm from Nigeria, just like I'm Rufina, and um, I came to Canada in 2014 for my MBA program. That's a master's in business administration. And so during the MBA program, I took um, the entrepreneurship and technology management stream because of my passion for entrepreneurship. And then I had a special interest or focus in um, social entrepreneurship. And then upon graduation, I had to do things with that. And we'll talk about that later. But again, from Nigeria, I live here with my family. Um, I love the city. It has this appeal for um, people from, you know, Africa. And um, I'm happy to be here. Now, just to let people know, Africa is a continent. It's not a country. Nigeria is the biggest country in Africa. So they won't know each other because it's a big ass country. So... (laughs) I'm assuming you girls met in St. John. Is that correct? No. Nigeria? Okay, amazing. This is even better. So where did you girls meet? I'll let Rufina take that. Okay, well, I would say that um, we met in the university during our first degree. So we've been together. We were friends and sisters, actually. So we met during our first degree where we're studying health education in Yes, in Oyo State, Nigeria. So that was where we met. And since then, we've been friends, sisters. We've shared a lot of ideas together. And here we are bringing our vision to reality. So is moving to Canada or living in Canada or New Brunswick, was a, did you girls planned it together when you were in Nigeria? Um, to an extent, yes. So <laughs> so when, so I had come in, um, okay, it was such, like, such a funny twist. So Rufina had intended to come to study at UMB before me, but eventually she had other priorities and then I came in before her. So when I came in, then the urgent pressure was now on her to come over and join me. And then that's how we both came to the same university and live in the same city. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, give us a glimpse on how's life in Nigeria. So people that I never been to Africa, I want to go. I want to go to South Africa, Nigeria. I want to go to Botswana. I want to go to a lot of places, but time being. But give us a, a glimpse of how how is living in Nigeria. If you know you want to go. Well, I would say living in Nigeria is like living in every other part of the world. 
it has its ups and downs, its challenges. It has its good side, bad side, and all that. But living in Nigeria is fun. The the weather is good. There's no snow in Nigeria. <laughs> we have Hamatan, which isn't isn't as cold as what we have here in Canada. And then I think we have lovely people, nice people. We're people who love colors. We're very colorful people. And probably maybe that was how the name United Colors of Fashion came into our heads because we are very colorful and we love people. We are very accommodating. And then we have different tribes in Nigeria. We have three major tribes, actually. The Hausas in the northern part of Nigeria, the um, Easterners, who are the Igbos, and the Yorubas. And also we have some minority group. We have the South South. And I am from the South South. Christine is from the Eastern part of Nigeria. So we speak different languages, but we all unite with our Pigeon English. We call it broken English or Pigeon English. So that is a form of unity that brings all of us together. Aside speaking our Queen's English, we have our broken English, which everybody can just speak, say one or two things, and those things unite us. And those are the things that we used to crack jokes and it keeps us alive. Oh, nice. And talking, yeah, talking about the uh, pidgin English and the slangs, you we also talk, we have um most of those slangs actually are things that if you're going to live in Nigeria, you need to have like a dictionary of slangs for you to for you to be able to <laughs> have fun in Nigeria. Okay, and then the issue of diversity, it's not new to people in Nigeria because we have over 250 ethnic groups. So as much as we are one country, one large country, we're different on many levels, but at the same time, we're united with a common focus at, at the end of the day. And so that makes us a unique country. Oh, nice. So how was it coming from the biggest country in Africa, which is a, one of the largest populations in the continent, to go into a province that's one of the smallest <laughs> in the country? How, how, was the, how was the adaptation towards that? Well, I would say um, we adapted really well because in Nigeria, you have everything. You have it all, a full package in Nigeria. So we've done it. We've been there. We've seen everything. So coming here, it was easy for us to adapt. Though some things were quite strange for me, like the food, you know, like when I came in here, I think I came towards um, Thanksgiving and I attended that and I found out that they were giving something in the plate. And I was like, what is this? And they were like, oh, it's potatoes. And I'm like, they pounded potatoes? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, in my place, they don't pound potatoes. It's either you're frying it, making it in form of chips, you know, but pounding it. So I was like, hmm, nice. Okay. So I tested it. It tested nice. And it was with turkey. It was served with turkey. But even in my head, I couldn't wrap my head around having potatoes pounded. You know, so for me, it was something I had to ad adapt and adjust to. And also there were some other things that I found kind of strange because where I'm coming from, an elderly person will never open the door for you. You are expected to do that out of respect. When you come in here, someone is opening the door and I'm, I'm, I'm looking back. Uh, is that for me? You know, but it's courtesy here in Canada. So I now learned that, okay, you have to open door for everybody and all that, because I was like, oh, it would be rude for me to just walk past this person that just opened the door because this person is elderly. And that's because of my culture, because it's always respect and things like that. But from here, I've learned that it's just courtesy. You have to smile at everybody, you know, people would ask you, how are you? And things like that. So it's been, a, it's been um, a platform for me to learn different things like Christine mentioned diversity and all that. So it's been, it's been an experience for me to actually mix with people from different culture 
to um, to experience it in Canada here. Because even in my MBA, I was with different people, Indians, different people from different parts of the world. So I was able to experience that. And for me, it's something that I've accepted now. And I would say my mindset has changed from when I started and where I am right now. What about you, Christine? Well, I think I have um, similar experiences at Refina because the first time I had um, a dinner as well, I was shocked to see that um, adults ate mashed potatoes because we're, just like she said, mashed potatoes are food for infants or kids. And I didn't think it would be something a full-grown adult would eat, you know, but again, that's part of that adaptation to your environment. And then I remember um, having, after living in, in St. John for about a year or so, I had gone to Ottawa and when I saw other Blacks, I was like, I waved at them and smiled, but I got this cold look as in, excuse me, do I know you from somewhere kind of attitude. So it, it occurred to me that that smiling being nice is a maritime thing. So something that most people within New Brunswick, okay, or the maritime or Atlantic Canada as a whole, it's our culture here in, in Atlantic Canada to be very um, respectful, to be very friendly, warm and nice. So yeah, it's it's been great adapting here, but occasionally we miss that's, um, you know, the bustle and um, interesting life of Nigeria. For example, it's difficult to understand why um, stores and malls close by 5 p.m. on a Sunday. For heaven's sake, back home in Nigeria, Africa, malls are open until at least 10, 11, 12 midnight in some areas. So you, you, we, we made the most of our days. You know, sometimes when I, some, sometimes I want to buy something, maybe I go to a store and a store is shut down for lunch. I was like, it's supposed to be open throughout the entire time, right? But again, that's the culture, the environment that we find ourselves. So, well, as I say, when you go to Rome, you behave like the Roman. So for St. John, you behave like the St. John. And so that's been our adaptation story. I mean, I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. Uh, I've been here for 11 years. Um, been a citizen for five or six, I think. Uh, and one of the things that kind of shocked me the most uh, is was the food, actually, because uh, first of all, the, uh, we're used to like seasoned food and with a bunch of flavors. And here it was just like bland. And I was like, whoa, what what's going on here? Uh, so definitely that was one. And I think the other the other part is that, like, for example, I, I always say that if you want to get a glimpse of what Canada is, most people from the outside think Canada is Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, the big cities. But if you want to rent, a, if you want to see a real sense of Canadian culture, you have to go to Canada, whereas St. John, Miramichi, uh, people, places in the Maritimes or people, places in Ontario like Peterborough or, you know, places like that, that that's what you see. And there's a sense of politeness. Uh, there are a lot of people say, I'm sorry, or excuse me. Like there's a sense of politeness in small town Canada, which, which you don't see it anywhere. Like if you're, if you're in a big city or big places, yeah, things are open from, for Sunday to Sunday to seven, nine, eight PM. Uh, life is way faster than, than here. Things move a lot slow. Like one thing is like, I get something in the mail, like in, in Dominican Republic, getting something in the mail, it's absurd. So you think, so it's going to be stolen. Like you will never get something in the mail. You go pick it up or like, but they say, oh, you'll get your ID in the mail. And you're like, really? You get your passport in the mail? Like, is that safe? Like things like that. Yeah, definitely those are the, the, definitely those are very traits of, uh, of this country. So, uh, I mean, now that you girls are in Canada and I'm assuming the taste for fashion and the love for fashion came prior. When did that came through? Not, not in here, but when did you guys fall in love with fashion? Okay, let me... Okay. <clears throat> Maybe um, I'll go. <laughs> so, okay. 
I was in I was in middle school when I designed my first outfits. Okay, so I and I I'm always happy to share the story. So myself and my best friend at that time we sat down. We came up with a design of an outfit we wanted to create. We couldn't sew the clothes ourselves, so we we contracted a seamstress to make that for us. So when we gave her the design on paper, she she told us outrightly that hey, this is not gonna fly. We can't wear this. And then we we made her understand that if we paid her the money, she was going to make the clothes for us because she had a job to do, as was to bring the design. And then eventually she accepted to make the, that design for us. So when the design came out, she was shocked at the outcome. So she she loved it and she was even impressed with the outcome. And so everywhere we went, we we really got some, you know, some compliments on the clothes. And then wanting to design the second one. Eventually, my friend went on to fashion school design and pursued that. On the other hand, I decided to pursue a different interest. But somewhere along the line, okay, after my, um, when I graduated from the MBA program, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to run a business. I wasn't sure what business it was going to be because I couldn't justify how I could have a degree in business and not have a business to show for it. So for me, it was like, it was a great um, disservice to myself and my career if I didn't um, put most of this theory in practice. So I wasn't sure exactly what to do, but I noticed at that time I was working at the bank. So every time I wore my, I love to wear my um, African prints and blazers. So every time I wore them on the dresses, I got compliments from my clients and they're like, oh, I love this. I love. So I used that as an opportunity to um, conduct a sort of um, a market research. So I, I started talking to my clients, okay, well, how much do you think this would cost if you had something like this? Would you wear it? And how would you, you know, things like that. And from based on the responses I got, I, I started Kaima Designs. Okay, so as a brand that was like promoting African culture. So through Kaima Designs, I'm, the goal was to promote, um, to tell um, uh, African stories through fashion. And that was really cool. But above that, I wanted to I wanted to create a brand that was that was um that was committed to the education of girl child and women empowerment. So and that's how it all began for me. What about you, Rafina? Well, like I said, I love beautiful things. I like to dress well and things like that. So for mm, for us here, Christine actually was the one that said, "Oh, why don't we just do something for immigrants?" You know, and I'm like. Something like what? And she, she, based on her experience as an immigrant, when she came in here, when she wanted to start her um, business of Kaima Designs, she now said, okay, we can do something that we can train um, immigrants, help them become a platform for them to strive when they come into St. John's because it might, it might not be easy for them to start their own business or something. So let's be like that leverage. Let's be that first step for them to come up and do business or learn something, especially those that are interested in fashion. And we're like, okay, let's see how this goes. And that was how we started and we registered UCOS. That was how the um, UCOS was better from just um, a conversation. So again, I'm a guy and guys are fashionable, but I am not a fashionable guy. So, uh, so Walk to us how the fashion industry is different in a place like from Nigeria to a small place like New Brunswick. How how what are the main differences that you you girls saw? 
Okay, so you remember when I told you how I walked into a seamstress store and told I wanted to create something, right? We don't mm-hmm. have that here that much in Canada. So here, you we have mostly ready-to-wear outfits. If you're going to get a custom-made clothes, you have to really look far and wide to get that. You'll be lucky to get one. And most of the people who are doing those ready-made or custom-made, if you look around, they're mostly immigrants. Because through the um, immigration program there, the more of them are coming into Canada today. And that's why it's a lot easier now. So in Nigeria, for example, if I wanted to learn how to sew, I just need to walk down my street, walk into a seamstress office or studio and tell her, hey, I want to learn. That's all. There was no formal application. I didn't have to go to any university. I didn't have to go to a college to learn that, right? So it was it's just like one of those um, trades or skills you learn just without a formal education. However, when you come into Canada, it's completely it's a completely different ballgame. So I remember during the um, COVID, I had wanted to like, okay, well, I wanted to like brush up on my skills and I wanted to take like sewing classes. I looked online and the only place I could get um, at that time was um, NBCCD. And then I had to be on the wait list for another one year. I was like, this is not happening in Africa, right? If I wanted to learn today, I'll walk down the street today and I'll get registered. And that's how, because my passion may not last one year because just a matter of time, just the human mind can be easily distracted, right? So I wouldn't want to wait one year. And those are some of the reasons that, that formed the idea behind United Colors of Fashion. So I look at myself as like, I'm an immigrant. I want to learn a skill, something completely different from what I, my background, my education, and just to pursue my interest and my talent. However, there are some obstacles to getting there. And then just like Rufina, I work at the YMCA and I'm privileged to work with immigrants coming in every day as a language instructor. And so sometimes when I interact with them, there's that gap, there's that need to want to do something. When their kids and their husbands, when their kids are, at school and their husbands at work, the women, are, the women especially, they stay home and they don't really know what to do with their time. And it's just a matter of time, they start feeling bored. Then in some cases, depression could set in for those of them who are very skilled in their home country, but they come here because of the environment that they found themselves. They find that they are not as productive as they used to be back home in their country. And so when we identify that gap, we decided to do something about it. And so we decided to create that platform through United Colors of Fashion, where Immigrants, especially, okay, could come in and learn a skill without having to wait one year or, you know, go through a very rigorous process just to get a skill to pursue their interests or education or something. So the, at the end of the day, what we try to do is we have like two streams. So on one, on one stream, we try to groom people who want to get the education or the skill for job. Or, but if they want to go ahead and become maybe like seasoned fashion designers or anything, they want to go take a college course at NBCCD or Toronto Fashion School or anywhere else, but at least we want to be able to create that interest and basic skills, the foundation skills, at least for them to test their ideas and see, is this something I really want to do? You don't want to take, you don't want to get admission, go to NBCCD or any college and find out one year down the line, you're like, okay, well, I'm not cut out for this. So we create that platform for them to test out their ideas and be sure that this is something they want to pursue. Oh, wow. Uh, first of all, shout out to Hillary's cat. That is amazing. I don't so. know what just happened. He decided to like climb on a glass shelf. Anyway, thankfully, that didn't end worse. It, it's okay. The cat's living his best life. So it is what it is. So, I mean, going back to that, when I, I can't believe that it, you take a year for sewing, uh, which again, I, I don't know anything about techniques or things like that. 
but I think I think you're right. I think uh, it, it's pretty much a technical skill that you do by learning and creativity and to wait a year just to saw it. So go ahead, Hillary. Well, I was just going to say that like, so I went to Ryerson Fashion School and sewing is like an entire eight month long semester course that everyone mandatory has to take to be able to do either the fashion design program or the fashion communication program. It's part of the one year collective that you do have to take. But if you're not taking that fashion course, like every single person I know that knows how to do any amount of sewing, it's just like passed down generation, generation, like my stepmom taught my like brothers because she raised them, but my mom never had the opportunity to teach me. So it's like, it's one of those things I find amongst women that if you in Canada are not being taught by a member of your family, it's not it's not like in like a call tech course. It's not a home economics course. Like those don't really exist anymore. So it it's not taught as a school level. Like that would be a fundamental skill along with like filing your own taxes that should be taught nationwide. But unless you're literally going to school for fashion or you want to learn it as an extra skill, it is not taught in Canada. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so, and one thing that, What's one of part of my curiosity? Because I I don't know. I done things in fashion in different countries, not necessarily in in, in Indian countries like the United States, which is a big business and things like that. Uh, not necessarily on the design creativity side, but I do see that part. Uh, and one thing that triggered that you know that kept my eye is that there's not a lot of diversity in clothing here. Uh, maybe because people go to Walmart or people go to the same place, uh, but. When you girls see that, 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 that's part of what you open it. Do you see that it's lack of, of, is it lack of creativity or is it lack of diversity that people are not showing other things here? Okay, well, I, I wouldn't say it's lack of diversity. I would rather say that because, because here, I would, like what we call ready-made, they're used to having ready-made clothing here. So for people like us who want to wear something different, I want to wear something like this. I'm not going to just get this in Walmart. If there is no Christine to make this thing and put it on, on a shelf for me to buy it, they only sew what they know. Because if you go to a seamstress here and say to the person, can you make this? The person probably will tell you, no, I can't. They can't because they don't know. They've never seen it being done. You know, they can make the normal tops that we wear, but it's not what I want to wear. On a Friday, I want to look traditional. So I want my culture. I want to represent my culture. So I want to wear something from my own culture. And you can't blame a Canadian because the person is not from Africa. So that's why it's good for us to be here, because as we're here, we're going to say that this is who we are. And we want to represent this this thing. And people come to us to say, oh, I like what you're wearing. Can you make this for me? And some of them even love it, but they'll tell you they can't pull it off. You know, so things like that. So it's not a diversity because the diversity, we're bringing in the diversity. We are the ones bringing in the diversity. The different people in St. John, the different people in Canada form that diversity. So it's not about the diversity all here, but it's just that Creating that platform for people to even start up to sew or do those businesses, those platforms are not readily available. And that's why we're saying that, hey, we can do this for you. We can do this with you. We can work with you. So we can give you the Canadian style and the African taste in it. So that's why we are here and that's what we stand for. 
In addition to what Rufina said, I just wanted to, she mentioned something. She So it's not just about the diversity because like the people here, in fact, over the last, I came in 2014, over the last three years, we've seen an influx of immigrants, you know, in the, in the region. And these people are coming with their clothing, their culture, their religion, and everything about them. But at the end of the day, we still don't have many of them pursuing that. So, as okay, I'll take you back again to when I said I was doing my market survey. Some people will tell you, I like that, but I can't pull it off. And so, what that's what that tells is like the average, and so I may be wrong, but my, my assumption from what I've seen so far is like the average Canadian here, it's conservative about their clothing. When you go to when you when you go to um, a regular dinner or anything, most of the people, most most of the ladies are in black because around here that's like a dinner outfit. However, when you go to when you go to a typical uh, maybe African wedding or something, it's in fact it's just like a competition of colors, right? But how would people get that if they're not readily available? And that's why we want. And so that was what the fashion show was all about. We wanted to bring these different immigrants with their cultures, with their clothes, bring all of them on a platform and then showcase them to the world on New Brunswick platform. Okay, here we are. This is what we can do. Unfortunately, most Canadians or most Caucasians are caught between this big, um, um, what's it called, this, this issue of cultural appropriation or appreciation. They see the clothes they like it, but they can't wait because they are not sure if they are allowed. That's the word I hear. Am I allowed to wear that? Should I wear that? And that was why we made the theme of the fashion show, cultural appropriation versus appreciation, the way forward. If at the end of the day, we train these immigrants and indigenous um, designers, we work with them, we teach them about the business of fashion and all and all whatnot. And at the end of the day, they create designs, but nobody is wearing, no one, no one is buying or wearing them. We've not done our jobs. So the first thing we wanted to do was clear air and let them know that, hey, if an African or an Asian has made clothes and has offered to you to buy, please buy them because they won't give to you what is culturally inappropriate because they'll be setting you up for failure, right? And so we needed to have that conversation so that people will understand you know, it's like walking on a tightrope. You don't know when you would, you know, when you'd misstep. But we wanted to just be there to guide them and let them understand what they can wear or what they can wear. So, for example, I don't know if you if you know that Michael Jackson was crowned king in Africa in one village in um, Cote d'Ivoire, right? Oh, so wow. he was crowned king, and yes, and that was in 1993. He was crowned a king in in one of the African villages in Cote d'Ivoire. So now, and if you, the pictures, he looked really, in fact, he looked like a king and a chief and all that, but he wouldn't be able to wear that on one of his music videos, right? Because then that would be appropriation because then he's not appreciating the, the clothes, the, the, the entire regalia for what it is. You know, so at the end of the day, it's all about that cultural appropriation and appreciation. That's why most people find it difficult to wear those items. Well, that, that's pretty interesting that you said cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, which is, it, it's pretty cool that you said that because I think people don't know how to divide that. And, and that is something that, that people need to understand that some things are appropriate to wear, but it's appreciating that, but some things are just not. 
and but there is there is kind of like a line. So, I mean, talk to us about that fashion. You told us what the fashion show happened, uh, but this is the first the first event that you guys pull as as a as a organization, correct? Yes. So walk us through this process. How how was it to pull this off to get everybody on this? Oh, okay, maybe I. <laughs> You look like, oh, my God, this was a... You don't want to know. <laughs> oh, I do want to know. That's why I'm asking it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you know how you bake a cake? By the time you put all the things together, you bake the cake and you want to deliver it and the whole thing falls on the ground and you now start surgery to put it together with the icing, use the icing to now put everything together to make it more beautiful and bring it out. People didn't know what you went through to prepare that cake. They didn't know the accident the cake went through before getting to the table. So we went through that process. But thankfully, it came out well. So I would say that the Yuko 4 fashion, cultural appropriation and um, appreciation, well, it was initiated as um, a platform to encourage fashion designers and entrepreneurs of diverse multicultural um, and ethnocultural backgrounds to partner with each other. As income as a business organization, government agencies and members of the community to foster multiculturalism, intercultural engagement, and increase collaboration in New Brunswick. So it was to harness the potential of these talented individuals, and it was a, a instrumental to the advancement of of a more cultural, diverse, enlightened, and empowered province. So that was what we had in mind to bring these designers together, work together, and then show your design, showcase it to everybody so that they can see that these talents that are hidden, we're trying to bring them out so that people can appreciate them, so that people can wear whatever it is that they have they have showcased on that, um, on that um, what do you call it, on that stage for that program. So that was why we decided to do that. And really, it was really a good thing. Though we went through a lot of ups and downs to bring that um, program So what it was, everybody were like, oh, it was fantastic. It was this, but a lot actually went in. COVID was a factor in it as well, because honestly, a lot of things had to change. A lot of things had to move. We had to move things around just to suit the situation of things, you know, and all that. But in the end, we're thankful that it actually came out well. And then the people that came really appreciated the event and our partners The people that we partnered with in Imperial Theatre, they were so happy that the next question they asked us was, we have given you a date for next year. So if it wasn't a good thing, they were, they were not going to tell us that we already have a date for you. They set the date. They didn't even need to ask us. They just said, we have a date for you next year and we're happy to do this with you again. So for us, we were excited. That means that we added a lot of value. We brought something to the table. We brought something to New Brunswick and to people here. So people were excited. I would say that it was well attended and everyone was happy. I'll leave Christine to add more to that. Well, there's not much to add, actually, because you pretty much covered the bases, you know. So some of the challenges that we had, like some people had to be turned away at the door. Again, like she said, due to COVID. So it was like well attended. And unfortunately, some people had to. However, we had um, the online streaming um, option as well so that people who couldn't will be able to watch or attend in the comfort of their homes. Again, with being mindful of the restrictions imposed by COVID, right? And so some of the biggest challenges was coordinating and organizing the different designers. Because as we already told, we both have full-time jobs. So we're working 
out with working um, within our lunch breaks and after work. So it was like long hours of work, you know, for months on end throughout the period. So, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Hillary. Um, well, I wanted to add something before this question, but then I do also have a question about this um, that I was going to add before when we were talking about whether like the diversity within like New Brunswick fashion. The other problem is regionally how I would say poorer the white New Brunswick people tend to be. And so you see all of this rich culture coming in with these immigrants and like I just found the majority of the population only want to and are only willing to afford a Walmart or H&M palette. And they do not either have the intent or desire to expand into something interesting. Or like you're saying, when they see something interesting, they think they're not allowed to participate with it because it's not what they grew up with or it's not something they know or they don't think it's theirs. That being said, since you mentioned cultural appropriation versus appreciation. So first of all, my fashion show experiences have always been the same. Absolute chaos up until and sometimes while walking on stage it is always a, a complete disaster and everyone thinks it was fabulous and you're like, how'd you do this? <laughs> but thank you. Exactly. This is exactly what we wanted. I'm curious, since you really had the intention of opening the conversation around appropriation versus appreciation, because I was already going to ask the question about what type of models you were looking for, considering I'm aware that there's not that, or when I was in New Brunswick, there was not that, that much diversity in terms of people you could actually get to wear the clothes. I was always the one token black model, but we never had the goal of being a cultural fashion show. But that being said, if you're trying to open up people's eyes to anybody can wear this, did you seek out specific looking people or were you encouraging there to be white models wearing, you know, indigenous or African designs to show that anyone can wear it? Or what was the, the thought process around who's actually going to be wearing the clothes? Okay, so let me go with that. When we when we when we created the event, it was a platform for BIPOC designers to showcase their designs. However, if you listen to what Rufina said earlier, it was for us to showcase this and kind of like collaborate with the community, with the government and business environment, right? So what we did was like, for the models, it was open to everyone, BIPOC and non-BIPOC, because that is one way we could collaborate with the community. With the sponsors, it wasn't BIPOC um, limited. It was thrown to everyone. However, just with the designs, was it only the BIPOC? I don't know if that answered your question. No, it does. I think I, I think that if you're trying to show an audience that's going to be a mixed group of people that they're allowed to participate in this thing, having white models wear something that like in my head would be like, let's say traditionally Senegalese or my dad's from, showing that anybody can pull that off any ethnicity is the only way I think white people are actually going to believe you that you can. Because I've seen even in, you know, like videos that we've had go will be popular on social media there is that element like we have one right now that's popular it's about braids and even white people in the comments will say well how do i know a black person isn't just trying to sell me or get me to wear braids to make money and so there is sort of this idea of what if these people are selling their culture to make the bag and to lie and so i think unless you literally put a white person in those designs in front of their face they're still going to have this like can i do it can i not do it is this okay mentality so i think that that's fabulous. You no, know, it's good you mentioned this because um, I on my on my 
page, I use most of them. Um, I use mostly white models to showcase mm-hmm. my designs. And I've been getting some sort of backlash. People reach out to me like, are you African? How can you say you're black owned? And then you have white people wearing your clothes. And then I just give them the simple answer. Like when I started my business, the goal was to tell my African story through fashion. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to tell the story to everyone who cared to listen. And when I started the business, occasions adopted it. And they started with the blazers and the dresses. So they were the first, they kind of like, they, they, they adopted the designs and the words. So the only way I could tell the story even further was to showcase the models wearing the designs. So again, when it comes to fashion and design, because like at the, at, at the foundation, I've always had the idea that if I could wear jeans and t-shirts, that's cultural exchange. If I could wear jeans and t-shirts, which is not an which is not a traditionally African outfit, then anyone could wear the African print design. It's only fair that we 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 exchange the cultures, right? If you go to if you go to a rural African village today, you would see even the farmer wearing a t-shirt and jean to go to the farm. Would you say cultural appropriation? No. It's come to that point, and and that's and honestly, and that's where we're going towards. So it's it's for us at United Colors of Fashion, we're moving beyond cultural appropriation, appreciation to cultural exchange. We want an opportunity for um, designers from China to collaborate with designers from Africa. We can create something unique, you know, by fusing two cultures together and then sell it to the world again. Because you know, we know that fashion is a form of art, right? And it's just an expressive form of whatever things you have up there. So one way to do that is bringing out your, your thought processes, your designs through creations. And you can, and sometimes there's some stories you can't tell alone. So if, if I was going to tell my immigrant story, for example, and I wanted to collaborate with someone who shared similar things, we could always collaborate and bring that idea to, 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 to creation so that people could see and like, oh, that's their immigrant story. And again, so it's it's come in different forms. So it's, I'm, I'm really happy you mentioned that because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is wearing it. The whole idea is we want someone who appreciates the story I'm telling. I want someone who appreciates the prints and is wearing them. And again, just before I forget, most times people think that African print is originally created in Africa or for Africans. No, they're actually created in Holland by the Dutch and started all in Indonesia and then went across to Holland then and now China. And so when you talk about African prints or Ankara fabric, as we call them, they are not the sole um, right or sole um, costumes or materials that are just relegated only to Africans. So I wanted to use this opportunity to like clear the air because that would make people adopt it even more. And that's what, and that's why I tell the story to my to my clients. Like, okay, you know what? This is not original because I can't sell the royal, the African royal beads to my clients. That would be very wrong of me because I don't I don't have the right to sell them. Anything that a king or a prince in Africa would wear, I wouldn't be able to sell them because I'll be setting my clients up for failure, right? But I would give to them what anyone could wear anyway, and that's generally acceptable. And I mean, I, I, I got to say something which kind of reminds me, I, I don't know and if you if anybody wants to check out, somebody has to check out, a, there's a designer called Dapper Dan. Uh, he was really famous in the 80s and 90s in the Black community in Harlem. And what he used to do is that he used to take all of this designer brands and make it into, he kind of fusioned it and then he gave it to people in his neighborhood in, a, in Harlem. 
and people from Mike Tyson and, you know, every black celebrity wanted that uh, until the labels, the, the big fashion brands saw what he was doing and they started suing him. Uh, but he is uh, the, one of the pioneers in, in hip hop fashion. Uh, which if you look at that type of fashion, it's what you said, it's jeans and t-shirts and, and things like that, but they made it their own. They fusioned it and, and they, they made it their own and, and it was not appropriating anything. It was just appreciating uh, and making it their own. That's, a, that's why that type of fashion has become a, a global, a global trend. Uh, so I, I do, I do see what, when you say that, that, you know, uh, there's things that you can wear and cannot wear. And that that's certainly has been, has been the case. And regarding that, I mean, what do you think when you say things like that, that you want to fusion, you know, African Chinese fashion or all types of fashions, uh, what do you think are the biggest blocks in uh, the, in New Brunswick to pull things like that off? Okay. So um, if I understand correctly, you're looking at what's really like um, the challenges. Okay. That, yeah. That would facilitate that. So one of them is access to the fabrics. So most of these materials are not made here. So we have to be able to like source them outside of Canada. So if I wanted to do, and then that's some of the challenges that I have personally in the business, because sometimes you have some designs you want to create, but you they're not readily available. However, there are avenues to get them, but it takes longer process. And then there's some Challenges which can involve me like border authorities, what quantities are you bringing in, when and how, and those sort of things. But if we had, for example, if there are ways we could bring some of the, when, when, when designers collaborate and work as a group, instead of individuals importing materials for themselves, we could do things as a group so that now we have access to most of these fabrics or materials readily available. That way, it could make the whole collaboration a lot easier. You know, so if I, if a client wanted something, I wouldn't wait um, maybe three weeks, four weeks for the shipping time to get it before they're being created. You could just get them if you have them within the country. So that's one way I see we could overcome that, having them readily available. What about you, Rufina? What do you think are the obstacles that you guys have in, in this type of industry in New Brunswick? Well, like she said, availability of the fabrics. Because some people might just order something and they want it now or they want it tomorrow for a program next weekend and things like that. And if they're not available, we have to make those orders. So bringing them in and all that, and we all know how it is to bring things in, immigration and stuff like that. So those things are really a challenge for us, bringing them in, the timing, making them and all those things. So those would be the challenges, yes. And where do you guys see, like, I'm assuming you guys have gotten great feedback because you told us about the fashion show that, you know, people couldn't come in because of COVID. Uh, People were asking you questions. Uh, Where do you guys see these or where do you want it to go? Where do you want this organization to go? Okay. Um, I would say, well, (laughs) it's a laudable initiative. And as the years go on, it will become a much anticipated launcher of destinies. And we're also looking at a way whereby we'll make um, New Brunswick a destination for fashion show for everybody in Canada, whereby we can have maybe a week of fashion show in, say, St. John, Fredericton, Moncton, different places in New Brunswick. So everyone knows that before, just as the, um, just as fall begins, your destination leads to New Brunswick for the fashion show. So that's that's the bigger picture we're looking at, how to make this happen here. So that's our way forward, yeah. 
And what about you, Christine? You, you got the same. Well, I'm assuming you guys got the same goals. Is there anything else you would like to see? Yeah. So basically, just like she said, um, we just want to instead of being a one day event, it's going to be like a week long, a weekend long fashion event. But at the end of the day, we want to see an empowered community and a community where skills are being harnessed. And most immigrants and indigenous or BIPOC community um, or BIPOC designers are making the most of their talent and skill set. And that's what the future holds for us. Now, uh, and, and I also wanted to go there, like like you said, BIPOC Indigenous. How tough was it to find these people? Because I, I never seen Indigenous fashion designers or Black fashion designers in New Brunswick. Like, how hard was it to find these people? You remember when I told you that one of the biggest challenges we had was getting the designers, you know? So, however, um, we reached out to MBCCD. Um, that's the New Brunswick College of Crafts and um, Design School the fashion department, and then the head, Jen Tracy. So she connected us to some of the students, the outgoing students, which um, most of them, we had about, they had about two or three indigenous um, designers amongst them. They had international students. And so those were the bulk of our designers. Then the others in, the other half of the designers were from St. John and they were African designers as well. So we sent out invitation to over 20 designers, but at the end of the day, only nine were able to make it. So again, it was part of the restrictions on COVID because some of them didn't have, you know, they had some limitations due to the COVID and so they couldn't participate. So for next year, you know, we know we're going to get more of them. And for those who attended, you know, with the, with the feedback we got from them, it's, it's, it's gone to a point where like, you know, come, come with a friend. So when they're coming back next year, they're definitely bringing their designer friends within their Bible communities. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. And, and I'm assuming you, you guys are keeping in contact with them and trying to form some type of community with them. Because, because again, personally, I never heard of any BIPOC, uh, except for the guys from Designs from Africa, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Yeah. Uh, I never seen any other BIPOC designers here or uh, any type of indigenous designers. Uh, so I'm assuming that is there any type of community or you guys are trying to build that or was or was there anything built for that type of designers i would say that um like christine rightly said it was open to everybody actually but we said by designers it was open so we had people from different places so long as you're a person of color come out and showcase your designs so it was actually open it's not like we decided that it must be from this community or that community. It was open to everybody. Anybody from color was um, invited to come and showcase their designs. So, okay. So prior to that, in addition to that, so there wasn't an organ, but there isn't an organized community. And so that was why it was difficult to get the designers to come in. So we had to reach out to them individually. Some of them, we couldn't reach them on email. We had to like on Facebook. I mean, that was the biggest challenge. And then when we reached them, the other part was convincing them to be a part of it because most of them were really skeptical. They were not sure, okay, well, if you want me to come in, what's the financial commitment? They're like, hey, it's a nonprofit. The whole goal is to help you grow. So you're not paying a dime. You just, all you have to do is show up and showcase your designs. But again, being human, some of us always want to wait and see how it pans out before they decide if they want to be a part of it or not. So the whole idea was to create that community that others can tap into. 
And that's the first step we did with the last fashion show. So now that we have that community, it will continue to grow from there. I will, I will say that in all of the, the few fashion shows that I did in Moncton, there was one indigenous designer. There was absolutely no black designers. Everybody was white. Um, and the most prolific person to come out of all of it was uh, Sawyer Hane from Country Liberty, who's like killing it now. But it was it was very much just like local people who knew how to sew and it was their hobby and they wanted to take the time to do this. And so there, there was never a big sense of community either, even amongst the, the, like the white people, it was the same white designers, models, photographers, and people running the same things every year to engage the same community. And I've also found that that's a, in my, in my humble opinion, the problem with the same demographic in like Montreal and Toronto is that while it's more diverse, it's still a click and you have to have a certain amount of money and a certain amount of power to get in and be a part of that click. So if you guys are able to not only get a community that is BIPOC in New Brunswick started, but then break down those barriers that you need to have some sort of amount of like social affluence to be a part of fashion, because at the end of the day, every single person chooses to be fashionable because we wear something every single day. It does not have to be seen as this elite art that only certain people can participate in. It can always be fun. It can always be interesting because every day you put something on your body. And I've been saying this for years. <laughs> That's true. Clinton, you, you said you had some questions, so go ahead. I did. Um, most of the things I was curious about have been answered in the past little while through questions or just the two of you speaking. But I will say something I haven't said in months. Um, part of the reason I love being a part of this show is the all the things I get to learn on a weekly basis. And I just want to say that the two of you, Rafina and Christine, um, I've really been appreciating the insights you've been giving us about New Brunswick fashion, uh, life in Nigeria, and everything you've done. I, I like your passion and your hustle and your determination. Like, I mean, you said working full-time jobs, planning the show on lunch hours. I don't even know if you have kids or families, but, and then all, all the sponsors you had involved, like that must've been a lot of work. Um, so that's really amazing. And I mean, immigrate. I, I don't know if you mentioned when you came here, but that's, again, one of the most beautiful things about immigration is bringing things to places that didn't exist before, creating things out of nothing, out of, out of scratch and filling needs that people didn't even know that we had here. Uh, I saw all the photos from your most recent photo shoot, and I got to say, there was so many amazing designs on there. Uh, the favorite photo outfit I saw was, not the favorite, the cutest, the, the little boy in the yellow shorts with the the circles that looked like a kaleidoscope or a flower with, um, you know, the, the strong colors. Amazing. I was surprised by the white models a little bit, uh, but after looking through them, I, I thought it was cool. And after hearing you speak, the explanations make perfect sense. Uh, the concept of cultural appropriation versus appreciation really got me thinking, because as Hillary said, we have talked a lot about cultural appropriation through hair, things like box braids and stuff like that. Well, Christine, I like how you commented on the fact that, you know, we have to... I don't know if these were your words verbatim, but we have to find a way to make it okay to make people feel comfortable in supporting Black, in this case, Nigerian-created things without it being appropriation, because in a lot of ways it is supporting Black businesses uh, and Black people. So that's a really great thing. Um, I wonder, other than, like, you've answered the questions about what's up for next year, if you're going to be bringing in other designers from around the province, you've mentioned you wanted to do shows in other places. Um, I'm curious, like, in fashion shows, after the show, 
I think people can buy the clothes if they really want them there. But do you have any future plans for possibly creating a boutique or a, a clothing store there in St. John where you can sell clothes out of? Um, let's say I wanted to pick up that shirt that little boy was wearing. <laughs> yeah, so it's good you mentioned that, really, and thanks for your feedback. So um, the whole idea in that, again, is beyond training them, beyond training the designers, and like one aspect of it which we're going to be doing down the line after the fashion show is teaching them about the business of fashion. So that's like marketing and other things. So we're looking into getting like storefronts, partnering with boutiques or anything within St. John and across different cities where those designers are kind of like where they are connected to so that people can go in and buy them. Because really the whole idea behind having the fashion show was to bring them out of the garages, from their bedrooms, from, you know, so people know, oh, well, this is who you are and this is what you can do, right? So one day fashion show is not enough for some people to even make up their mind on what they want to do. Like someone like you, you were not there, but you saw the pictures. And now if you wanted to do something, you wanted to go somewhere to reach them. But for now, what we what we encourage people to do is like, okay, if you went to our page, you know, the Yukov um, Instagram page, we have the profile of all the designers there. One could actually follow them and then reach out to them directly for now until the other things are resolved or come to place. That's amazing. Um, I also wanted to throw out something from the beginning of the conversation, the whole conversation about sewing, learning how to sew, how it's not taught in schools, how it's a basic skill people should have. Even, I don't know how to sew, like an outfit, but even my own mom, like when I was a kid, you know, she taught me a couple things. We'd get some crafts. I sewed a basketball and stuffed it. She taught me how to fix, you know, fix a hole in my pants or patch something up. Just simple things that um, I think would be great for the environment, for one, and just good skills for anyone to have. It's it's so common to just discard and throw out clothing nowadays it's um it creates a lot of waste and pile up and stuff like that so it's something i haven't thought about in i won't say how many decades but it's a cool skill to have i, I wish more kids i wish more parents taught their kids even the basics of sewing because it's a great way to express creativity and to just you know keep your stuff alive for longer that's right everything else I was curious about was already answered. So that's, that's my one cent. And that's my comment and question for the, for the episode. Thank you. I mean, I, I think basically everything that I, I got, uh, I think it's really interesting what you girls are doing. Uh, I basically think uh, there needs to be more people like you girls doing this. Uh, and definitely we, we are able to help if you girls need anything to reach out. Or again, I think Hillary is a fashion model slash anything that you, that definitely could uh, understand this lingo and world more than myself, I guess. And, or Clint, well, Clinton is in the beauty industry, so he probably understands it uh, way better than, than myself or anything. But definitely we, we appreciate that what you girls are doing. And, and I think the, Platforms like ours uh, want to help things like this, right? So uh, I, I was I found the the article on the CBC, and the first thing that I said is I got to reach out to these because I think uh, this is something that that needs to be heard. This is something that needs to be, heard. and you know I think uh, if any of your uh, BIPOC fashion designers ever want to come to this platform, they're more than welcome. Uh, or show their stuff in our in our website, or even if you want to show anything in our website or links or anything, that that's definitely open. Because uh, I feel like again, uh, it's something that in this province or in the Maritimes as a whole, I think uh, you know 
immigrants and diversity bring stuff here. They don't take anything. They bring, which is uh, one thing that people, uh, some people don't analyze that. And they collaborate and they teach. Like I learned a lot from you today than, you know, every time, like what Clinton said, I, I, we learn a lot from people like you. So definitely, I think what you girls are doing is fine. And hopefully you bring a show to Monk. I mean, definitely that's where we, we're living. So, I mean, no shade to St. John, but Moncton. We can take a road trip for now. It's, it's okay. Oh, we'll, we'll hop in now, the car. We're going to hop in the car and come down. We're going to hop in the car and come uh, down. Uh, 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 we'll hop in the car, but yes. But hopefully we, we can have something like this in all over the, the maritime uh, provinces. So. If people want to reach out to you, uh, and they want to know more about uh, the initiative and what you girls are doing, where do they go to? So um, our website will be the first part of call or Instagram handle. So um, it's um, yukofashion at gmail.com. U-C-O fashion at gmail.com. Is that the website as well? Yuko, U-C-O? Yeah, so yes, um, yukof underscore, yukof-fashion.org. Okay, so definitely that, that, that's something. And and before we get, I've got one last question. And I don't know if, if anybody else has another last question. If you would have the perfect scenario for what you girls are doing, what would it be? I'll let Rafina go first on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, take it. Just take it. <laughs> My head is doing well. <laughs> okay. Wow. You know, I, I'll be very honest with you. You know how they say when you start up something, you know how it starts, but you, you never know how it's going to end, right? However, we were looking, we're looking at a, we're looking at an organization that is creating an empowered workforce that is bringing change and impact to the community, and that is making the province a hub for fashion. So we're looking at something that is definitely going to be bigger than us, that's going to grow further. And then we're looking at greater collaborations. We're looking at something that eventually is going to be Canada-wide for a start. So that is where the vision is leading us. Well, there is an African uh, Fashion Week here in Toronto, where I am, I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, great, you see. And that's what happens when you collaborate with people, right? It just... And that's the whole idea behind United Colors of Fashion. It's all about collaboration, all about the growth, because it's kind of like it possesses this potential. And we'll, we we are excited to tap into that potential. <laughs> oh, amazing. So uh, I want to thank uh, Rufina and Christina. I want to thank you for being part of this podcast. Uh, please send us your links, pictures, anything you have so we can put it on our website. Uh, definitely showcase what what is going on uh and again thank you guys for listening don't forget to support us on patreon or paypal also uh like us on facebook instagram tiktok um twitter at black in the maritimes uh again uh, subscribe and leave a comment on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify whenever you get your podcast and we definitely appreciate uh, all the support and love, even the unlove, because we always get racist comments, but we, we support you as well, even if you, you guys are doing it, but it's all right. Uh, so guys, you have anything else to say? No, it was great having you guys on. I yep. had said before we started, I love having um, not only more women, but fashionable people always makes me happy when I have something in common with our guests. So I thought it was absolutely wonderful episode. I'm glad my cat got to say he approved as well of our discussion. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, it was just a great episode. I, I learned some some new things, and I really appreciated that. So thank you. Yeah, we definitely did. So all right, peace out. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.